to the island on visualization. I would like to read this piece to you, and then, Maishi, I want you to hear this piece on visualization. The Hever can hear back there, I have a little bit of a sore throat. Maishi can hear? You come closer, Mom. We're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk. Welcome to the Shimmy. Welcome, Old Ezra. In the fifth volume of Mechtav Melio, it's from Rev Dessler. He distinguishes two methods with which the Yetzirah attacks sophisticated people. The first method is that the Yetzirah is a sniper, taking deliberate aim at a person's head. Everyone has a unique character. In every person, certain traits predominate. For example, some people are more into chesed, some are more into honesty, and others are more into achievement. Thank you so much, Menachem. Like a well-trained sniper, the Yitzhahara gets his crosshairs on one specific dominant trait and pulls the trigger. This Yitzhahara attacks through the person's existing character traits by convincing him or her of one lie. The Yitzhahara convinces the person in regards to that one trait that is most important to him that wrong is right and right is wrong. The sniper has hit the brain stem, and the result in the hemorrhaging does away with the victim entirely. To illustrate, listen to this muscle of Reb Dessler, this brilliant muscle. Maish, I want you to hear this brilliant muscle of Reb Dessler. Let's say Jennifer excels in chesed. This is her dominant trait and her passion. She volunteers at the local hospital, acts as a big sister to a destitute girl, a poor girl, and always helps her parents and siblings. Now her brother is marrying a non-Jewish girl. He begs her to come to the wedding. Her das Torah, the rabbi who was her advisor, told her to refuse to attend the wedding, but that requires the trade of gvura, of setting boundaries and being strict in judgment. Thank you so much which is not Jennifer's strong point. Her strong point is chesed, being kind and generous. The Yitzhahara tells her, you have to be compassionate. You have to be kind to your brother. If you don't go, especially since your parents have already refused to go, your brother will be brokenhearted. And it's the most important day of his life. How can you hurt him in that way? Thus, the Yitzhahara convinces Jennifer that attending the wedding is kind and refusing to attend the wedding is cruel. And Jennifer, who excels in kindness, has no defense against this sniper. My visual, it's funny, this Reb Dessler, the Tzadik, you have Kalish, the sports fanatic. My visual is there are two types of offensive linemen. There are two ways, Yaakov, to block a pass rusher. If you have very good technique, and, you're, and you have good hands, when he's coming, you stop him in his track with your hands. You don't stretch them out too far because you don't have enough power. You keep them close. You don't let him hit you. Your hands are out, and he comes at you. You stop him. You put him to his chest, and you stop him. You get good balance on the floor. Your, your hands are firm, and you stop him. You hit him right here. That's the simple offensive line technique. If guys don't know the technique, they get rammed into, run over. If you know the technique, when he comes at you, you get his hands to the chest. You have good footing, very solid footing, and that's what you do. <coughs> if a guy is very, very strong, 
and gets by you a lot, what you could actually do is use his speed against him. The quarterback goes back, and the guy whizzes by you. You can get your hands on him and use his very force against him. By assist, You can't push him in the back, but you can assist him much further than the quarterback. You're using his aggression and his speed against him. So he comes hard to the quarterback. There's things like this in fighting where you use a guy's aggression and speed against him. There's, there's names to this in, in fighting. One of the disciplines like yeah, does this a lot. Uh, Aikido. Aikido. A guy was, Aikido is using his speed against him. But it, and I don't know this, these things, but I know an offensive lineman... Guys don't do it enough. A guy's coming way too hard, charging. You could actually just assist him away from the quarterback, out of the play. It's very short time. You don't need that long. We don't get that long. But if you can <coughs> use his aggression against him, that he flies and you assist him pass, his own energy carries him out of the play. That is my visual for this Yetzirah. <coughs> Where he, he uses your strong point against you. Your own aggression, your own, in this case, kindness is used against you. You have a big kindness bent, and he takes your kindness and uses it to hurt you. Where he says, it's really time for gvura, for strength, to say a gadol told you that you shouldn't go to this wedding. But he uses your kindness, 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 and your, that voice in you, and he uses your kindness against you. You could picture cases, a guy's honest, he could use honesty against a guy to say something that he shouldn't be saying. Honesty, that's your thing, man. And he could use your honesty against you. Another example would be, would be Josh, who is very sensitive to not embarrassing other people. He never jokes at other people's expense, is exceedingly polite, and watches his speech carefully so as not to offend other sensitivities. Josh, of course, does not have physical contact with women outside his immediate family. When he joined the business world, and a woman reached out her hand to shake his, his Yetzirah found an easy target. His Yetzirah says to Josh, if you don't shake your hand, you'll embarrass her. That would be terrible. And there's no way around it except to shake her hand. Thus, the right way of no physical contact became the wrong way of embarrassing others. Had Josh asked his rabbi, he could have learned half a dozen clever statements that would have avoided all embarrassment. And he may have realized that his real issue was his own discomfort, since the woman would judge him as a fanatic rather than unbraid herself for committing this mistake. But it was too late. The sniper Yates had already hit its target. So the Yetzirah gets him, and the Yetzirah messes in our mind with wrong and right, right and wrong, and uses a midah we have to promote something that's wrong. The one who's nice, go to that wedding, even though you weren't supposed to go, and use your niceness, and based on a midah of yours, get you to judge something wrong. This person who's sensitive, not to embarrass others, but that's not what's appropriate here. People on a higher level point out Rav Dessler know what's true and false, right and wrong. The sniper Yetzer cannot obscure their intellectual grasp of the situation. So the second method employed by the Yetzer is chemical warfare. There are no bullets, no explosive, but suddenly the victim is stricken from within. We're going to talk about the second Yetzirah. So the first Yetzirah capitalizes on getting you what's right is wrong and wrong is right. 
and uses one of your midas to misjudge a situation, to take something that's wrong and turn it right, something that's right, turn it wrong. But somebody who uses his intellect says, I'm not, not going to let my emotions make this decision. For one second, this is wrong. So then they're not so susceptible to that first Yetzirah. He calls this sniper Yetzirah. There's another Yetzirah's chemical warfare. Listen to the second one. The second Yetzirah, powerless to hit the head, aims at the person's rutzain or will. Rev Dessler compares this to someone who has eczema, who cannot resist scratching because the itching is so bad. Intellectually, the person knows the more I scratch, the worse it gets. But that does not keep him from scratching. With this chemical warfare, the Yetzirah presents no intellectual argument. In the first one, the Yetzirah tries to infiltrate the brain and tries to get you to see what's right is wrong, wrong is right. In the second one, the Yetzirah, there's another type of Yetzirah who presents no intellectual argument. The person simply feels compelled to commit the sin, bursts out in anger, tell a lie, undermine a competitor. Rev. Dessler calls us the battle with Amalek because there's no logic here, it's all emotion. In the first one, he tries to get you to decide the wrong thing. He attacks the brain. Tries to get you, based on your midas, to paskin up, to intellectually say the wrong thing's right, right thing's wrong. In the second one, he's not trying even in the slightest to get your intellect. It was an intellectual decision. Much like the person has eczema stra- scratches, it's not an intellectual decision. Yeah, a burst of emotion. It's all emotion. So what do you do with emotion? How do you answer Yetzirah that isn't talking? See, the first one, you have to have a dialogue, but what's the truth? He's getting you to see it wrong, to sit back. You can even ask a Shaila, and it's so hard. It like goes against your instinct, but be an intellectual person. Stop thinking emotionally. Stop thinking emotionally. Whatever, even if the emotion's honesty, stop thinking emotionally. Remove your emotions. Talk it over with someone. So you say, you're not right. Then you call out your bias, whatever your bias is, honesty, kindness, that the Yetzirah is using against you. The first one is attacking intellectually. The second one, the Yetzirah is not talking to you. There's no dialogue like that. Rev. Dessler asserts that the only defense against emotional Yetzirah is visualization. Says Rev. Dessler, the emotional Yetzirah you have to visualize. Visual is it explained? visualization like the Yetzirah's chemical warfare has the power to penetrate the fence of intellect and get into the person's inner self where victories and defeats are forged. Visualization is a skill that must be learned, Breb Dessler maintains, that those who study Torah already had an advantage. He says the narratives in Chumash and Navi are so detailed in order for us to be able to visualize them. That's why the Torah describes the rebellious Kairach falling into a, into a hole in the ground that has just opened up beneath him. Otherwise, the Torah could have just said, if you rebel against Hashem's word, you will meet a dreadful fate. The more visual something is, the more real it is. And the more powerful it has to influence his emotions. Visualization is the only effective antidote for the Yetzirah's nefarious chemicals.
is listen to this example. Listen to this example. We will talk. I promise you we'll talk, Yanni, and talk a lot. First, let's listen. Nava was a successful businesswoman in Seattle. She owned a condo and had a lucrative job. She came to Israel to attend the bar mitzvah and while here decided to go to Hebron to visit the Ma'ara Samach She knew that the Avais, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, as well as the Imais, Saru, Rivka, Leh, were buried there. As Nava entered the massive building, she was met by a refined-looking stucco collector. He asked her, is this the first time you've come here? Yes, Nava replied. The man responded, your mama, Sarah, and your papa, Avram, welcome you. Your mama, Sarah, and your papa, Avram, are so, so happy that you're here. They were waiting for you to come back. The image of her mama, Sarah, and papa, Avram, waiting for her to come back, seared Nava's heart. So it didn't all begin in Seattle or in Miami where she was born or the shtetl back in Russia where her grandmother was born. It began here and this is where she has to come back to. Any other home is not really home. The image painted by the Stucker collector had such a powerful impact that three months later Nava relinquished her life in Seattle and made Aliyah. Reb Dessler taught that you can't do battle against the Yetzirah without a real repertoire of imagery a visualization, because the mind cannot grasp a concept without imagery. You need visualization to become real by you. Citing the Torah statement that at Mount Sinai, the people saw the thunder. It says that at Har Sinai, they saw the thunder. Things which people normally hear, they saw. Reb Dessler asserts that you have to be able to see what you hear. He says that's the aside always. It wasn't the one time that's the sophisticated learner of Torah. It says they heard that which you normally see. Reb Dessler says that's the aside of Sinai. Reb Dessler asserts that you have to be able to see what you hear. He quotes of Chaim of Elijah that you have to be able to take what you hear and bring it into vision. According to Rev Dessler, the process of internalizing a concept has two steps. The first step is hearing an idea and being sure you understand it. That is what's meant by Shmiya, listening. The second step is to move from hearing to seeing. He maintains that you never really grasp an idea unless you move it from hearing to seeing. If you want an idea to penetrate deeply and affect change, you have to move it from abstract to concrete. Abstract and his idea to visualize it, how it looks in your life. The Chazanish writes, do you know the Chazanish writes when you learn a Gemara? You should visualize practical cases of the, of the Gemara happening. Find in your life this law practically when and where it happens. Anybody who learns Tshuva Svarim, anybody who learns Tshuva Svarim, I first used to think that the ones writing the Tshuvas were geniuses out of my league. They're so crazy, so it's just, why do I think that way? And Ramesha was an Einstein genius, but that's not the word about this. In his Tshuva Svarim, somebody asked him a Shaila, and his application of the Gemara is like, it's so crazy brilliant. So I say, I was no Shaykhist to this. I used to learn Tshuva Svarim, your jaw drops. 
He says, he asks the Shiloh, how in the world did he answer, did he see it in that Gemara? It's like mind-blowing. I learned the same Gemara. Bachram asks that when you learn in Agadita, like, why would you think that? And I realized it from Chuvasvarim. You read a chuvah. You read a chuvah sefer. They're tsushtel. Say the word tsushtel. I say tsushtel. David Schiller used to love that word. Shimmy's brother. He liked better to to sell stu. To stel tsu. But tsushtel is when you compare to stel tsu is to make a comparison. So. Their, their unbelievable power of hearing a shayla and applying it and figuring it out is wild. So I just think, Maishla, they're such geniuses, like we're out of the game. It's not true. They were such geniuses. Maisha was a, But it's not true. That's not where it's coming from. You know where it came from? I'll give you an example. Somebody asked Shlomo Zaman, listen to this. If this to me, this dazzled me. It, made me. it makes you like weak need. Somebody asked of Shleim Zalman in Rechavia, where he lived. A, a storekeeper used to sell bags of salt, bags of sugar. And in, by mistake, instead of bags of sugar, he had salt in them. There was a mix-up, and the bags of sugar had salt in them. Ladies bought the sugar, brought it home, and ruined all different meat and fish by putting salt instead of sugar in recipes that called the sh- sugar had salt in them. So they came to Reb Shleim Zalman, is the storekeeper Chaya for all the fish and meat. He ruins, it was before a Yamtiv, the guy ruined salmon and steaks. Is he Chayiv? Of course, why is he Chayiv? He didn't put the stuff in. Reb Shleim Zalman said something that like, how could you be so smart? It's like too crazy. Shleim Zalman said that in Baba Kama, there's a Taisus on Davav, who speaks about a pit. You put a pit down with Shusarabim. You put a dangerous thing with Shusarabim. And another Yid comes and kicks it to another spot. Bara miskalgil baradli adam. Taisvis talks about if the guy kicks it, shaloi bikavana. If a human being purposely kicks it, the human being who kicks it, Chayiv. If he accidentally kicks it to a new spot, then the one who put the danger down is Chayiv. So if I put a suitcase here, a knapsack here, middle of the hallway, Middle of the aisle. Some bacher accidentally kicks it to the bima. Somebody trips and hurts himself. I am chayiv for putting down the thing here. If a human being kicks it, shaloy Says of this guy put a pit down. He put down salt in a sugar bag. It's a danger. The lady, she doesn't own it. It's her husband's money. She moved the pit. She moved the dangerous thing to the meat. It's a pit that moved by the foot of a person. Shaloi b'kavana, the person who put down the pit's chayiv. When I saw that, you're like such a flipping genius. Like, in the Mayamika, like, that's it. Like, I was so upset almost. It's a good of It's not, it's the wrong pshat. It's simply when I realize the true pshat, it can change your life. He was a genius. It has nothing to do with this story. The real story is, is you and I learn a pit that a person kicks and you, and you move on. You don't know how to learn if you learn that way. You just go on to the next sugi, you fight with your chavrusi, you, have no, you don't know how to learn if you do that. What you do is, you must in Torah, you must see what is heard. You heard something. Make sure you hear it and understand it clearly. Now you must see it. 
if you don't sit down, Reb Shleim Zalman had such clarity, not because he wildly, when he was asked the question, then he like made the tzushtel, you'd be, you'd have to be a crazy genius. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. That's not what happened. When he learned the Gemara, he had visuals of practical cases. When you learn that Gemara, Baba Kama is like the most extreme of this. You do this in Kedushin, you do this in Saita, you do this in Yavamas. Any Masechta you learn. You visualize what's being said. You must see it. You must visualize what is being said. You have to see, you have to see what you hear in order to impact you and to go into your systems. Now we'll talk about what Reb Dessler is saying in a minute. But Reb Shlomo when he read that same Gemara, the reason it wasn't as ingenious as you think, he was visualizing all different, many cases, by the way, and Lav Dafka didn't picture salt, sugar, sugar, salt. But once he had good visuals, then it's easier. Once you have visuals that were quite similar, it fits a category. It no longer was a Gemara that you have to say that's crazy to think of. When he learned the Gemara, he had cases quite similar. I don't know if he came up with that case. That would be amazing in itself. But he came up with practical cases. He was visualizing cases. I spoke about the knapsack. You're Meshug if you don't do that. And you're not smart. You're not, you don't understand Torah learning if you don't do that. You can say, Baram Skalgal, okay? I picked that roll, I got it. No, I don't care how smart you are. Sit down with yourself and see a few cases. Picture, people think it's for little children, it's for us, it's for our whole inside. Sit down, all G'daylim, all learners do this. They see that which was heard. So they sit down and they visualize things in their life. The nap, if you don't learn that Kamar Bar Muskal, a guy's a knapsack here, a guy kicks it. But then get more creative. Get, do, let's go. Do, you could do better than that. The sugar is crazy creative. The more creative you can get to visualize it, extend it, see it elsewhere. That is how the smart learner learns. You learn Agadita like that. The Gemara said something, visualize who's, what's it talking about? We had that Gemara site that we learned together, Agadita. You learned the concept, the soft thing hits the rock. What, what is, what a Chazal visualize where Chazal are talking? Chazal say, Maishu Rabbeinu was thrown into the sea in a soft boat, a Tevas Goyma, not a hard boat. And logic would dictate protecting better in a hard boat. Says Chazal, a hard boat hits the rock and it cracks. A soft boat hits the rock and bounces off. More flexible, more flexible, more vulnerable is actually stronger. Now visualize in your life that concept. Visualize some people. Don't talk, Lasha, don't say it. Visualize some people who seem hard and tough, but because they're so hard, they break easier. Something which looks soft and vulnerable and it's actually strong. You forgive causes us to fear you. What looks like apparent weakness is actual strength. When I was your age, I used to see a certain unbending person as very strong. I don't mean the person. I used to see the character trait of unbending as very strong. Fierce. Unbending, unyielding. You know in Chinuch, a Bacher says, could I leave early? No! The tough mechanic, no. So I saw the tough guy mechanic, no, you can't leave early. And then the flexible guy, you can leave early. 
And I thought if you asked me, the tough guy is the guy you can't leave early, and the soft guy is the guy who makes exceptions. Do you know it's the exact opposite? Do you know the tough guy is the flexible one? I promise you. I'll tell you why. Why is the soft guy the tough guy? The tough guy who says you can't leave early, why doesn't he met? The guy's saying a good reason I should be able to leave early. He says, but if I let you, somebody else is going to ask. Whoa. And I can't deal with everybody. Like, I'm too afraid. I'm too weak. If I just make across the board, then I'm safe. They're afraid of vulnerability. By saying yes to one, you make yourself vulnerable. What looks tough actually hits a rock and will break. Is actually masking weakness. The flex one who says yes to him says others are going to ask, I'll say no to others. But others are going to ask, I'll say no to them. The flexibility, the tevas goyma, is actually much, much stronger. It hits rocks and bounces off. But you have to visualize what's the Gemara say. I don't say you have to learn that's the Gemara means. But you can't just read a Gemara. You have to see what was heard. Visually, the Gemara is saying something. Soft in some ways is stronger. When and what? What is he referring to? Now you could just read the Gemara, visualize it, see it, know it. People then will say, you're such a genius, how do you think of that? No, when you learned that Gemara, you were doing what you, the Gemara wants you. It wants you to see what you heard. To see it in your life and actualize it. Says Rev Dessler, if you want an idea to penetrate deeply and affect change, you have to move it from abstract to concrete. This requires both steps. The first step is hearing, which means understanding the idea accurately. If you haven't heard the idea accurately, you won't get the right image. Once you have heard it correctly, the second step is to make it concrete by seeing it, visualization, both steps necessary. I had a guy in yeshiva who's married today. He used to draw a picture of, he's an artist, he drew a picture of every Gemara he learned. He learned with a chavrus who had trouble learning. The, the, the guy who drew the pictures did not have trouble learning. He would draw a picture of every, so we were learning sukkah. Every sukkah he learned, he drew a picture for the guy he learned with. Now if you think that great shtick to get him, that guy's a visual learner, we are all supposed to learn visually. The lucky part of that chavrus is he only could learn if he visualizes. Some people theoretically can learn. You are missing half the process of learning if you don't visualize. Now, you're supposed to understand and visualize. There are people, when I say somebody's a visual learner, they can't understand unless they see. Really, you're supposed to understand it well. I'm not sure till today what you lose when through the visualization you understand and you see. Probably what you lose is you can never draw the picture because it's circular forever. Somebody has to draw it for you. Because you only draw what you understand. If you can't understand, you can't draw. So this Bachman Yeshiva that somebody else drew for him, he has to learn to understand and then draw but you're supposed to understand the concept, then see it through. Do you know, we're making a graduation. I always try to plan out what we want to do, then I see it. I've already gone to graduation a number of times. I've gone to the graduation that you're going to have Sunday. I've been there a lot. Till now, I went to the one in the gym. It looks like it switched to the Hilton down the block. So now I have to, re-go. I have to go back. To, I've, been by, I've been by the wrong graduation. 
Yeah. I went to the wrong graduation. They're worried too hot there because she's once they're spending that money, they're doing it by the Hilton down the block. So I have to re-go back to graduation. But you visualize an event, you have to see it besides <laughs> understanding you have to see it. Yes, Eddie. Has to be an intellectual. The answer to one, there's two yetzaras. When he gets you decisions, you have to not think emotionally. Yeah, you should say if the right things to say no, you have to say no. You have to determine what's right. You hear there's two. Reb Dessler saying there are two yetzaras. There's yetzahara which is fighting to get clouding what's right and wrong. There, you have to speak to a Rebbe, you have to remove the emotion. That he's using your energy against you. He's using your bent to honesty, your bent to kindness, your bent to accomplishment to see things wrong. There, you have to remove your bend, you have to, you have to call out your bias and think intellectually and think hard. The second Yetzirah is not trying at all to use any intellect. He just gets you to have a fit of anger. It's not about a decision. This is right. That he's owning your intellect. It's just a burst, an emotion. For that, how do you control? He got my emotion. I never thought it was right. The answer to that is visualization. We're going to see more. I, I want to read more. I need to read more before we talk. Visual, visualization works by translating Ruchnius into Gashmius. Listen to this. An ethereal spiritual concept into a concrete physical image. This is accomplished through your subconscious, which is why its impression is so deep, and why it has the power to vanquish the emotional Yetzirah. Reb Dessler continues, When Hashem was ready to create man, He said, Let us make man in our image. The commentary asks who the us was. Who was Hashem talking to? Let us make man in our image. Who was Hashem talking to? Rashi answers that he was talking to the angels in order to teach us humility. The one who is greater should include the one who is lesser. We have real humility is when you're inclusive as opposed to exclusive. Reb Dessler extends this point into a fundamental principle. He says that this idea that the greater should console with the lesser is not referring to human relationships. This is one of the most brilliant things I ever heard in my life. Listen to this, Reb Dessler. It says that Hashem asks the angels, teaching the greater Hashem, humility, should actually consult with the angels. Said Reb Dessler in one of the most brilliant zugs you'll ever hear in your life, it also referring to our inner battles with ourselves. The greatest part of us is our seichel, our intellect. But the seichel has to take counsel with the small one, which is the physical world, the level of physical imagery. We can do better. That's what he says. The greater asks the smaller. We can do battle with the Yetzirah and all its enticements only when we use imagery. And if he doesn't do this, warns you have Dessler. He will never have victory. It's a grave mistake to think that you can win the battle with the Yetzirah solely on the base of your intellectual resolve. I won't do that. The Arizal, whose thought process operated on the most elevated plane possible, understood this point well. Listen to this story. He once gave a lecture to his disciple, Reb Chaim Vital, on the subject of infinity. 
he spoke about eternity to Reb Chaim Vital. Reb Chaim Vital was older than Narizal, but at the end of the lecture, he told his teacher that I didn't understand anything. So Darizal said to him, come with me to, to Tverius. To Tverius. When they got there, Darizal led Reb Chaim to the shore of the Kinneret. Famous story. And announced we're going swimming. Could you imagine? Two of the greatest giants who ever lived in history. I was talking to a Rebbe last night about his yeshiva. And he says when he does things, the guys feel babyish. If you sing... People are so shallow, it's comical. I once in my shul and shul started singing, and the man said, you made me feel like a baby. It's comical, because he's used to, I was in a yeshiva, they never sang. You fool what you are. You know how much you have to use to get things into yourself. I don't give you 84. The Arizal and Reb Chaim Vital, two of the greatest people who ever lived. Could you imagine? After Sherry said, come, we are going swimming. Watch what they did. Because that Rizal was younger and stronger, he was a better swimmer. After a while, Reb Chaim said, I can't swim any further. Can you imagine they're swimming in Tveria? They travel to Tveria, and they're swimming in, in, in the sea. And Reb Chaim Vital says, Rebbe, he was older. Reb Chaim Vital was older than his Rebbe. He, wore, he couldn't lost Kayach. He said, I can't go anymore. His teacher would not let him stop. Yes, you can. Come further out. Several exhausted minutes later, Reb Chaim again protested. I can go no further. Can hardly keep his head above water. Darizal asked his disciple, when you look around, what do you see? Picture the imagery. He's in the water. They've gone really far in. And Reb Chaim Vital is like half drowning. He can't go anymore. Obviously, Darizal did it safely. I don't know if he carried some safety... You know, tube, he, he planned it out. Or he knew the Kavanah Svashem he could say to just exit his student to the shore. He didn't put his life at the line. But he has his Talmud swimming in the middle of the Kinneret. And his Talmud's half drowning and he says, what do you see? His head bobbing up and down in the Kinneret. Rebchaim answered, all I see is water. Now you have some concept of infinity, Darizal replied. This is the difference between intellectual grasp and concretely experiencing a concept. He wanted him to visualize eternity. He had him half drowning in water, looking around, and all you could see, you are consumed. All you could see forever. There's no reality beyond water all around you. He said, now you have some concept of eternity. The technique of visualization will help combat the Yetzirah in two major areas, prayer and Midas work. The first visualization battle plan applies to prayer. Our prayers are supposed to penetrate our hearts, filling us with joy, faith, and love of Hashem. All of Pesuk Zimra is intended to lift us up to a state of joy, which is needed for Shman Esrei. Unfortunately, however, our prayers are too often a blur of words that hang limply from our lips without penetrating our hearts at all. Listen to this exercise. One solution to making your prayers real so they can affect you as they are supposed to is to employ imagery. Here are some examples. When saying, Baruch Sha'amar V'hayayolam, Hashem spoke and the world came into being, visualize a void, a dark expanse of nothing, and then see first light, then land with mountains and rivers, 
then trees and flowers blooming, then fish filling the sea and colorful birds in the air, then multiple species of animals, zebras, elephants, tigers, buffalo, polar bears, chimpanzees, cows, then human, yet, then human beings populating the entire earth. As you visualize this whole scene, keep in mind that everything in it came into being by Hashem speaking. This should fill you with wonder, awe, and love of Hashem. You said the words, Baruch Sha'amar, Hashem spoke, Vaya'ilam. Did you ever visualize it once? And if you didn't visualize it, is it real by you, the concept? When reciting the prayer, Asher Yatzar, after using the bathroom, when it comes to the words, it is obvious and known before your throne of glory. Imagine two angels, one on either side of you, picking you up and carrying you up to the throne of glory. Visualize yourself standing there before the throne of glory until the end of the prayer. This should fill you with Yira, or of Hashem. This visualization was recommended by the Musar masters when visualizing angel, angels who do not need to resort to Renaissance artist depictions. Light forms will do nicely. During the second feel of Shmanesri, when you say the words, Hashem brings dead people back to life. Visualize your departed relatives and friends walking into the shul or your living room, wherever you are davening. Visualize their smiles and their gestures of greeting. Keep in mind that Hashem is the source of this wonder. This should fill you with faith and love of Hashem. The Rizal recommended that when reciting the 15th blessing of Shman Esrei, asking for Mashiach, upon saying the words, for we hope for your salvation all day long, for your hope, for your salvation we hope, that Rizal said, visualize yourself standing there and hoping with all the other Jews in the world. This would mean imagining yourself standing there surrounded by young and old, Svardi and Ashkenazic Jews from Israel, America, England, France, South Africa, Australia, and South America. Visualize them concretely. Some are dressed in Hasidic garb, some dressed in business suit, some dressed in jeans and t-shirts, all united in the collective longing for the redemption. Remember that the more detailed your visualization, the more effective it will be. Thus, in the first example above, don't just visualize animals. Visualize as many different species as you can. Use your own imagination to visualize others' prayer, other prayers, such as the splitting of the sea, whenever you refer to it, or the specific musical instruments in the last Hallelujah. All psalms particularly lend themselves to visualization, which may be why they are chosen means for eliciting joy in our hearts. An important point emphasized by the Musar masters, take very small steps. Thus start with one visualization only. Practice for several weeks before adding a second visualization. Don't say today, okay, I'm visualizing everything. You will be on overload and left with nothing. Start a little bit visualizing. You say in Aleinu that the goal is to fix the world with Hashem's Malucha. What does that mean? I visualize going to all the 7-Elevens and all the stores have covers over the pizzas. Or they don't have them. No more pizzas with the magazines. The world has a sense. There's a God, there's a God in the world. It points us to godliness. A better world, a more wholesome, healthy. I picture a world where people are dressed modestly. You walk into a shop, right, and people are dressed modestly. 
visualize what it is. If you just say the words, you end up with a very, very tefillah that you don't connect to yourself. You're completely detached from your own prayer. I'm going to read a little further. I beg you to, to bear with me and that we're almost done. <clears throat> the whole treasury of Musr teaching is directly to fixing one's midas. This is a project as difficult as climbing Mount Everest. Yisrael Salanter said that it's easier to learn the entire shas to fix one character trait. According to the Vilna Gain, human beings are here in this world for no other purpose other than to fix their midas. This is the ultimate battle against the Yitzhara. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about visualization. Anger, listen to this. Anger is an apt example of how the Yetzirah's chemical warfare works. Person erupts in anger, committing a host of sins, painting other people with words, embarrassing others, not from any intellectual justification. Afterwards, the person justifies it. At the time, a person being, honored, being honest, this was not an intellectual Yetzirah. It was Yetzirah number two. What was I supposed to do? Now, afterwards, he'll justify it. Say, I was right. It made sense to be angry. Who wouldn't be angry? Was I not justified in being angry? The person will do that after. But when they're honest, and everything takes honest, the Yetzirah did not get them with intellectual justification. He got you angry in the moment. So what was I supposed to do? Listen to this. Rather, an emotional volcano erupts, usually against the person's better judgment than knowledge. person may be well-versed in all the shas against anger, yet these will not stop him. Anger operates on the emotional, not the intellectual plane. It's like tragic. He learned all the gemaras and shas about anger, and it doesn't protect him when the Sahara bangs him with the chemical warfare, not the intellectual warfare. He is not attacking his brain. Attack on the brain, learning about it helps. You know the truth, Sugya, it's Asr. If you're being honest, is not an intellectual discussion. As explained above, the emotional Yetzirah works through visualization. Thus, Revolb explains that anger comes from an inner picture. Anger is an internal picture of how we should react and is naturally inside of us. This internal picture illustrates for us how to react when someone does something against our will. We must become red in the face, bang with this on the table and break out in yelling and insults. The antidote to anger, therefore, is to replace this picture with a different picture. Revolba explains, this, this is brilliant. Yaakov, I'm reading way too long. I'm sorry, this is the end of the year. We're running out of time. He must replace the essential internal picture of anger with a more appropriate picture. Listen to this. The key to this process is visualization. Persons seeking to overcome anger should repeatedly practice visualizing himself reacting to a provocative situation with a calm response. You should go on a walk and you visualize somebody wronging you and see it through in your mind. The more details, the better. Visualize a calm response. The more she sees or he sees this new picture, the deeper it will penetrate into the heart and into the, your reactions. Revolba quotes a Zayar 
that vividly describes anger and sums it up. An angry person tears up his soul with his anger, really. For his soul departs, and in its place comes a presence from the evil side. In his lessons in the Beis HaMusri, Revolba provided a great visualization to portray this process. Imagine that a feeding tube connects every soul to Kadosh Baruch Hu. Through this tube, vitality and light constantly pour into the soul directly from Hashem. When a person gets angry, the Yitzhara pulls that tube away from its divine source and vomits into it. In a Midas workshop led by Rav Kellerman, a disciple of Revolba, we were encouraged to make this picture of anger as concrete as possible. I went home, took a plain sheet of paper, and pasted a photograph of myself in the lower left-hand corner. In the upper right corner, using a le- yellow-colored pencil, I drew the Hebrew letter Yud to represent the divine source, Hashem. Then with the same yellow-colored pencil, I drew a tube connecting the Yud to the heart area of my photograph. A tube connecting my heart to Hashem. Below the Yud, I pasted a cartoon picture of a mean, menacing per- like animal that I cut out. This picture represented the Yitzhara. The tube from the Yitzhara to my photograph I drew in black. I put the finished picture in my bedroom where I would see it often every day. My former inner picture of anger, which was not conscious, had looked like justice and righteous indignation. The Yitzhara gets us. Our visual of anger is a man standing up to himself. You have to change the inner picture. Our picture of anger is a man, if you didn't visualize this, you wouldn't do it. But the Yitzhahara has gotten you that anger is being manly, standing up for what's right, not being bullied. That's your visual of anger. We, I was a valiant warrior fighting for a noble cause. This new picture so horrified and disgusted me that I wanted with all my heart to distance myself from anger. You have to create a new picture of what anger is. Your visual of anger, people on the court have it. There's a justification to my anger. For years I was playing basketball and yelling at my teammates. But you have a picture of being a coach. You have to visualize it as this black, dark hill of Hashem. What changed my life is I saw another rabbinic figure always losing his cool on the court. And I saw people's reaction. It was like an unbelievable hill Hashem of a distinguished person acting like a, like a Nishagana. That new visual you have to constantly bang into your, <laughs> into your inners. <coughs> Get down what's happening. It's not an intellectual decision. You must visualize what it is. She took anger and pictured this tube, this intravenous tube. She did it in a way I can't relate as well to. She's very spiritual. I would take, you're sitting in the doctor's or in the hospital, and they're putting IV in you, and I had kidney stones. They're putting IV in you, which is saving your life. Picture taking out the IV out of the stuff that's saving your life and putting in poisonous stuff that's killing you. You're removed from the source. Every time a negative emotion arises in your heart, know that the HR is bombarding you. The anti-aircraft weapon that can save you is only visualization. For example, 
I live in the old city of Yushalayim in a building of six apartments around the central courtyard. In the courtyard is a lovely garden of potted plants watered by a drip irrigation system of PVC tubes that connect all the pots. This garden is my personal project, cared for and paid for by me. Several of the families who live in the other apartments have young children who play in the courtyard. Despite all my warnings, they sometimes play amongst the plants, pulling out the irrigation system as they play. In dry Israeli summers, this can be lethal for the plants. She has a complex way of watering her garden. The kids play in the courtyard and pull it out. One morning, as I was leaving my apartment through the courtyard, I noticed that the watering system had yet again been disturbed, and candy wrappers littered the ground. Annoyance, a euphemism for anger, gripped me. She was angry. That strong negative feeling was the air raid siren. How could I fend off this bombardment, the Xara? Here he comes. Here he comes. Anger. I had been learning about visualization in Musser. I quickly searched for visualization that would detonate my annoyance and found one in Navi. The prophet Zechariah, describing Yerushalayim, declares, and in the streets of the city we filled with boys and girls playing in its wide spaces. Children playing in the streets. The Navi describes Yerushalayim, Gishmak, kids playing. These children in my courtyard are the fulfillment of the prophetic vision, I thought with wonder. How can I complain about them? It's a nevuah. From then on, whenever I began to be annoyed at the children pulling out the watering system, I invoked the prophet's image of the Jewish people's miraculous return to Shalayim with children playing in the courtyards and detaching instead of it being a terrible scene. I have seen people with anger problems and kids run in shul and they explode. What these people should visualize after the Holocaust, a man spoke in my father's shul recently. He was a chazan after, I believe it was Birkenbau, I don't remember for sure. One of the concentration camps afterwards, they were davening, they were, it, it, was, it, was, it was freed by the, by the Allied armies, and they were davening on Yom Kippur, and they asked him to speak before davening, and he didn't know what to say, you had a bunch of broken people, and he wanted everybody to cry, to let out their emotion. And he said, Rabbi Say, do you remember 10 years ago how upset we'd get by the sound of the noise of children? There are none. And everybody just cried and cried and cried and cried. There were no children. No children survived. He said, you remember we used to get upset by the noise of children? That guy has to visualize the beauty. Do you want a community? He should visualize a childless couple praying for children. He sees those guys around. You know those people are the those kids are the answer to prayers. <laughs> You're saying it's disturbing your prayer. Those are the answer to prayers. <laughs> you know how many tears were shed that people should have children? Hashem answered and sang children. But you're saying it's disturbing your prayer or the answer to prayers. <laughs> but the person, she tended to get annoyed. They were playing in her courtyard, ruling her flowers. She visualized the, the, the Navi's picture of the beauty of Yushalayim that their kids around. How beautiful. What's the other picture of a... You ever been to an old place? When we moved to Waterbury, the city was dead. There was some old, not from Yidden, who had no kids around. Because the kids booked out. 
picture the beauty of our communities. I heard a Rav get up in Lakewood, and some anti-Semite wrote a letter, what a Chil Hashem it is, that there are toys on the lawn, and wrote a whole letter. He was such an Ernst to Rav. He was asking his Seber to be more careful, as they should be. But that stupid person with the letter, instead of seeing vi- they want the picture of Waterbury of old. <laughs> they were like such a negative letter. You go to Lakewood, it's the gorgeous scene of a community that's keeping its youth. <laughs> Toys on the lawn. Beautiful, gorgeous scene of a city. Keep- it's all the imagery, if you don't have the proper imagery. So then the Yetzirah gets, you have to visualize the right. This person allowed himself to fall prey. They saw stuff so messy. You dis- you- the Yetzirah nailed you. With the right imagery of a city that keeps its youth. Is there anything more gorgeous, a city that has a future, that has kids? You want a city that has no kids and no youth? No vibrancy, no future, no tomorrow? They should have come to Waterbury when we moved in here. When you come now, I assure you, there's more stuff on the lawn. Use that imagery to see children and future and hope. From Rebetzin Chaya Sarah Kramer, who's the Amshin of a Rebbe's wife, used visual images to dispel negative emotions. When Adina, a young mother, played by depression and worry, turned to her, she said the following visualization. She said that all my ailments were due to my letting Yetzirah come, and she told me you have to recognize Yetzirah as a thief. If you know that a thief is coming, you're going to run to the door and lock it. But not just lock it, you're going to put all kinds of things in front of the door so the thief can't get in. In the same way, you have to lock your mind against the thoughts you are letting in. For example, self-pity and a sense of grievance often result from difficulties in life. There's I'll end with this. I'll end with this. Somebody put on the Waterbury chat a beautiful thing. If you want to know about imagery, it's from Dennis Prager. It's an interesting story for himself. A friend of mine is close to him. That's a long story for itself. But somebody put a video from Dennis Prager on the Waterbury chat. It's Hashem. I wanted to read this to you today. Somebody put I recommend that you, you watch the video of Dennis Prager with the missing tile. I recommend you look at that. You will see how he uses imagery to change your life. If you think it's just, okay, I got the idea. What do I need the picture? You will never, ever live his idea without the imagery. So the closing of today's share, and I, we, I did say we'll talk, and I, I do want guys to visualize, to understand what I'm saying. But imagery beats the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah that doesn't attack your intellect. The Yetzirah that gets you to think wrong, so you have to use your intellect to think right, stop thinking emotionally. But there's the Yetzirah that when you're honest had nothing to do with your thoughts. Afterwards you rationalize, people trick themselves. But let's be honest, it had nothing to do with intellectually. Intellectually you would have won. It had to do with intellect. There's the Yetzirah and he uses on big people. He knows he can't fight them intellectually. They're too trained not to have biased thinking. So he gets them when you didn't think. Trust, when you're playing basketball and you're getting angry, there's not an intellectual decision. You're running, you're out of control. How do you beat that? You must use visualization. Visualization what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all different ways of using visualization, from both what it means to be angry, get it through your system, 
then your emotions are on board with you for, to visualizing what you're going to do when you get angry, to visualizing a different way, a good positive response that to you is impressive, to changing your visual of that guy, of what the Yitzhara got you. He owned your visualization. He had you looking at it as a tough guy standing up for himself. But then stand back and watch somebody else get angry. That's not what's happening here. It's a weak person who looks like a fool, a buffoon. So you have to be, you have to talk to yourself and say it. When you're not angry, say it and view it and think about it. Is the power of visualization. It wins over your emotions. It wins over every side of yourself when you do this. I advise for this schmooze to look at Dennis Prager on the Waterbury chat. He has a beautiful visualization from a missing tile. It's appropriate in the yeshiva. We had all our raid with missing tiles. Baruch Hashem, there aren't any anymore. But it, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> More than one. Did a guy see this one? Did a guy see the visual from from Dennis Prager? Should we look at it right now? Who yeah. If everybody could take your smartphones out. Everybody get your smartphone. Whoever has one, let a few people look on with you. Smartphones, Dennis Prager. I'll call you. We're going to do this guy, what? 